Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bird's Nest Podcast. I'm Joe Donahue. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, we are six weeks through the NFL season. We're about a third of the way through, and now's a good time to take a moment and take a look at this Eagles team on the whole, as well as we get ready for the Dolphins on Sunday night. The Eagles are preparing to enter the gauntlet. They've got the Dolphins, they've got the Commanders, and then they've got a long string of really, really challenging opponents. So this is a good opportunity to make sure that we're taking a look at this team on the broad scale. So joining us today to help us get ready for the Miami Dolphins is a guy who really needs no introduction, because if you've been paying any attention to Philly sports over the course of the last 50 years, you have definitely heard of this man. He is Ray Didinger, and Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Nice to be with you, Joe. So, Ray, everybody has their game rituals. I want to start off with this. Everybody's got their game rituals. Some people get their tailgate stuff together. Others prep their space to watch the game. For you, well, Bleeding Green Nation ran an article just after the first game of last season. And it was highlighting you and your son, Dave, watching an Eagles game for the first time together. <laughs> yeah. And for, as I was reading this, it was something that stood out to me was, even though you had just retired from full-time sports media earlier in 2022, it was almost as if your game ritual is that yellow legal pad of yours. Mm -hmm. When you were retiring, did you think at all about whether or not you would give that up and just try to watch the game as a fan? Or how ingrained is that in your pregame? Yeah, I didn't really think about it. Um, it was just, I knew I was stepping away from what I had done for 50 years and uh, looking forward to it, actually. Um, I was very much looking forward to uh, watching a game with my son, which I had never done. Uh, I had never done. I mean, for all those years, I was every time the Eagles played, I was there. I was working it. Uh, and so we had never had that father son experience of watching an Eagles game together. So I was really looking forward to that. Um, and game day rolled around the Eagles at the Lions, the opener last year, um, like 15 minutes before kickoff. I just felt myself. I said, I got to go get my yellow legal tablet. I just, I just got to start, I got to, you know, I, I'm so accustomed to it now, logging the game, uh, logging every play, charting the coverages, charting the personnel packages, all the stuff that I've done for so long, that I kind of felt like I, to, to really watch the game. I, I will tell you, I didn't do it in the preseason, okay? I, did, I didn't go so far as to do it for preseason games. Uh, but for the regular season games, I felt like to really pay attention, uh, and sort of stay mentally into the game. Uh, I had to go back to watching it the way I had always watched it. And I still do to this day, the regular season games. And of course, the postseason games. Yeah, I have the yellow legal tablet out and I'm, uh, I'm taking notes like I always did. <laughs> that's, that's really, really insightful. Those yellow legal pads are going to one day become an encyclopedia of their own just uh... <laughs> With all I've of the information, I've gotten great mileage out of them. I've gotten great mileage <laughs> out of them. Great, they're great to look back on. Um, observations that you made on the fly, uh, things that you wrote in the margins about things that you saw, and um, you know, is, is this going to come back in the second half? Is this a, is this a foreshadowing or 
um, and it's it's go it's fun to go back and look at those things and just pick them apart and just see um, what what you can really learn with it. I, I just felt like when I was covering the game, uh, I mean, there's always a lot of by play in the press box and people joking, kidding around, which is fine. Um, but you know, to me, I'm, you know, I'm there to cover the game. Uh, I, I mean, I am I am really locked in on what's happening there. Um, and the fact of the matter is, there's so much happening with substitutions in and out and um, teams doing some stuff, either motion on the offense or disguises on the defense. I mean, there's there's so much chess movement there in this game that um, I just, you know, I, I just want to pay attention as close as I can and just log it as close as I can. Because when it comes time when it's all said and done and you have to sit down and write the story of what happened in the game, you better have paid attention. <laughs> and that's what I always <laughs> tried to do. Absolutely. Now, as you watch this Eagles team this year, we're six weeks through. What about this team stands out? Um, what stands out to me is that um, they have not yet played a full four quarters game. You know, uh, that's, I mean, there have been some high moments. Uh, and, and of course, last Sunday, there was a lot of not so great moments. Um, but the thing that, the thing that I take away from the first six games is I haven't felt like there has been what I would consider that they've played a complete four quarters game where they, where they played to the level that I feel they're capable of playing, you know, and I'm still waiting for that game. I'm waiting for this team to come out and play like the team that I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, they're five and one, which, which is good. I mean, that's, you know, that's certainly nobody can argue with that. You're tied with the best record in the league right now. Um, but I think everybody kind of feels like they haven't really clicked yet. Well, you know, maybe it's Sunday, you know, and if, and if it's going to click, this is the time to do it because they've, uh, they've got a, they got a really good and really dangerous team coming in here on Sunday. And if they're not at their best, they could be in some trouble. That is absolutely. When I was thinking about this, and even as I was thinking about this question here too, the word that came to my mind was inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And you, you kind of spoke to that a little bit there. Um, what stands out to, I mean, you had a team in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game that was able to bleed the last nine minutes and 22 seconds off the clock and had me wondering, okay, when are they going to turn this ball over back to Tampa Bay? And we're going to be, we have that concern versus Nat in the Commanders and the Jets game, you have a team that is making poor clock decisions, giving the Commanders an opportunity to come back and send the game into overtime at the very end of the game uh, with the amount of time they had. Um, with the Jets game, that last interception didn't need to be thrown because you could have managed the clock better. Sure. Uh, I, no, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I mean, the closest, the Tampa Bay game, they played well. Um, the Washington game, you know, they, it should have never come down to overtime in that game. I think that, that shame on them for letting it happen that way. Um, probably the closest that played to, um, a, you know, a really solid game was, was the Rams game. And I thought they, you know, that was probably to me their best game to date. Uh, but even that wasn't perfect. 
you know, I mean, it was it was really it was good the way they played. The defense tightened it up in the second half, um, shut out the Rams in the second half, and finally got got Stafford and Cup under control. Um, but that was a little scary in the first half, watching the way the Rams were able to move the ball. Yeah. Give give points to Desai and the defense for tightening it up in the second half. Um, but I mean, that was that to me was their best game so far. But even that was less than perfect. So, you know, they haven't coming into this season. I mean, I said, you know, on numerous occasions, I think they're the best team in the NFL. I think they have the best roster. I think they have the best team. Um, and I've never been able to say that about an Eagles team in my memory. That coming into the season, I really felt they this is the best team in the league. Uh, and I really felt that coming into this year. To this point, five and one record aside, I don't think they've shown that. I still feel they're capable of it. Um, but, I mean, you alluded to the stretch of games that are coming up now. Well, I guess we'll find out. You know, over this next stretch of games, starting with Sunday, you know, we'll find out how good this team is. Uh, I hope that that challenge brings out the best in them. Uh, because it'll have to. It'll have to because they, they have a whole stretch of games coming up now against teams that are likely to be playoff teams. And they're all back to back to back to back with the exception of Washington. Uh, and so it's going to be a challenge. And I feel... You know, the team coming into the season, I felt was capable of winning those kinds of games. But now they kind of have to go out and prove it to us. Yeah. And that could be an opportunity where a team like the Eagles could thrive. We've seen that happen a lot over their over history where they've especially during the Super Bowl run where they've had to prove their worth. But at the same time, it doesn't feel you're right. It doesn't feel good going into the season fully expecting this team to be the top tier best team in the league, certainly best team in the NFC and now being faced with this. And there's a lot to be said around any given Sunday, but there's also stuff about a lot of the behind the scenes kind of stuff and a lot of the operational stuff. Jalen Hurts seems to be showing improvement in his decision-making through the, especially in the Rams game, I had noticed that. I noticed a lot of improvement of decision-making in the Rams game. But then again, he goes and he throws three interceptions in the, in the Jets game. And he's now thrown seven interceptions. That's 31st in the league tied with Mac Jones through week six. What are you seeing as you watch him over the course of these first six weeks? Inconsistency. Um, and uh, <clears throat> some good stretches. Uh, and then, you know, the game on Sunday, which was a clunker, no question about that. You know, three interceptions, you look at them, okay, first one was as much a fumble by Goddard as it was an interception, to be frank. Um, the second one, his arm gets hit when he's trying to throw the ball. You can sort of somewhat excuse that. But the third one, there's no excusing it. I mean, the third one was just about as bad a throw as you can make. Uh, especially in the NFL, but he made it, you know, uh, and that's, you know, that's sort of a head scratcher. I mean, it, that whole sequence there, uh, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways you can dissect it and there's a lot of blame that can go around. Um, I thought the coaches didn't do him any favors. I thought the play calling was not very good. Uh, you get down to that third down play uh, with the way things have been going with that team. I was not in favor of them even throwing the ball. Uh, I, I would have, if I were them, I would have just run it uh, and punted it 
and given it back to the given it back to Zach Wilson and and said, okay, let's see if you can drive the length of the field here and beat us. I don't think he could. You know, I think in that situation, if you give the ball back to the Rams in their end of the field off a punt, I don't think Zach Wilson had not shown that he had made a few plays, but in that situation, game on the line, I don't think he would have come down and beat you. Um, that's what I was kind of thinking. Um, but they chose to throw it. They threw, um, you know, they called a route there that you could question, but there's absolutely no doubt that Hertz made a really bad decision. I mean, he threw into double coverage and he threw the ball late and he threw it off his back foot with nothing on it. And it's a ball that's going to be intercepted. In the NFL, you throw that ball 99 times out of 100, it's going to get picked. And it did. So that was a bad game. But, you know, we've, we've seen Jalen Hurts play very well um, over the last couple of years. And my sense of it, coming with no guarantee, but my sense of it is I think he's going to bounce back and have a big game this week. You know, I, I think no one has to – no coaches had to tell him the mistake that he made there. Uh, and he watched the film this week and it just reinforced it. Uh, and he's a prideful guy. Uh, and he knows how much of this team is riding on his shoulders. He also knows the challenge he's facing this Sunday against a very high-scoring and dangerous Miami team, quarterbacked by a guy with whom he has some history. Um, so I don't think – no one has to tell him how big a game this is. And if Jalen Hurts is the kind of quarterback that I think he is, I think he's going to rise to the occasion. Absolutely. And this certainly is going to be a prove it week this week for him, certainly, especially uh, given his history at Alabama, where he got sat for Tua in uh, their playoff run. The Eagles actually made a move this week to get another weapon for Jalen Hurts. It was a little bit of a surprise move for me because of all of actually it was a surprise move for me because of all of the injuries that are going on in the secondary, but the Eagles provided some wide, uh, wide receiver depth for Jalen Hurts uh, with the signing of Julio Jones. Um, what are you seeing as you take a look at this team in relation to bringing Julio Jones in to, uh, to be a part of the wide receiver core? Well, um, I'm, I think I'm kind of with you in the sense that um, if they were going to make a personnel move, a roster addition right now, I would have thought it would be in the secondary because they're, they're, they're short on bodies back there. Uh, so if they were going to add somebody to the roster, I, I kind of thought it would be a defensive back. Um, and I don't rule that out between now and the trade deadline. I mean, they, they might, they might very well go out and look for some help. Um, but the Julio Jones signing, uh, I mean, it's a low risk sort of deal. Um, you're not paying him a whole lot of money. And frankly, you're not going to ask him to come in and save the season because uh, you got receivers. I mean, you've got two of the best in Brown and Smith. Um, you're just looking for to maybe upgrade that third receiver spot. Um, you know, Quez Watkins, you know, had a, a poor year last year and has not exactly gotten off to a great start this year. Um, he's got a hamstring injury that was going to hamper him anyway. Um, one of the issues with this offense is that they have they have been 
pretty ineffective in the red zone. I mean, statistically, you look at their numbers inside the 20, not very good uh, given their personnel. So I think Julio comes in now as um, a guy who can upgrade that third receiver spot, uh, a guy who can, with his size, can be another good target in the red zone. Uh, and also, I think, gives you uh, some flexibility formation-wise that, I mean, he's not what he was in his Pro Bowl years in Atlanta, uh, but he's still Julio Jones. Uh, and you can move him around the formation. And I think he'll mostly be in the slot, but you could you could move him outside and put him at one of the two wide receiver spots and then move either Smith or Brown into the slot and maybe get yourself a more favorable matchup. I think Brown can, uh, Jones, I think, can do those sorts of things and command a kind of coverage that Watkins could not. So I think you can, I think that in that sense, Julio gives you uh, a little bit more formation flexibility than Watkins would. And still as a guy that, that you know, he, he can catch the ball. I mean, the one problem he's had, I mean, it, you know, four different teams in four years, we all know it. Uh, but his biggest problem has just been staying healthy. If he can stay healthy and stay on the field with this offense and playing with the kind of receivers he's playing with, yeah, I mean, he's an opportunity to – they're not bringing him in here to save the season. But if between now and the end of the season he can give you a half a dozen big plays, which I think he's capable of, that's pretty good signing. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting insight there. And it, it's, it certainly remains to be seen exactly how he's going to fit in. Certainly with Quez Watkins being on the injured reserve, it kind of made sense a little bit in that context to, to bring him in as uh, um, some additional depth there. But, and as you alluded to, he's been a good player in his past and, He's still a he's still a pretty good threat on the field, so we'll we'll see how the Eagles plan to utilize him. I mean, we've seen the Eagles do this before. I mean, anybody mm -hmm. that's been following this team, you know, you you probably remember, you know, them bringing in James Lofton, you know, who was a great receiver that they kind of got at the end of his career, you know, and they did it with Art Monk, uh, same thing, Hall of Fame guy at the end of his career, they brought him in, and Roy Green. Um, I mean, they've done that with some veteran receivers. And to be frank, none of those made much of a difference. I mean, they got those guys really at the end, and they didn't add a whole heck of a lot. Didn't stay yeah. very long. Julio Jones, you know, might might have an opportunity because you consider what teams are going to have to do cover-wise against this Eagles team. You got Brown, you got Smith, you got Goddard. Um, mm -hmm. Coverages are going to have to focus on those guys just because they're that good. You put Julio Jones out there as the third receiver, he's probably going to be matched up on some other team's fifth best defensive back uh, yeah. with, with a size advantage. And so you're not asking him to do the impossible here. Uh, and so in that sense, I think he has a chance to actually come in and be a, be a pretty, pretty important player. I mean, he's got, he's played with Brown before they know each other. Uh, and uh you know, again, you're not asking him to catch 10 balls a week or, you know, or, or put up Jerry Rice numbers. But uh, I think in the right spot, in the right situation, you know, some third and six, you get him matched up one-on-one -on -one with some, you know, fifth defensive back. You know, he makes that catch and moves the chains. It looks like a good signing. Absolutely.
flipping to the other side of the ball for a moment here, and especially as we take a look at the uh, Miami Dolphins game on Sunday night, uh, you alluded to it already. They're a dangerous team. They're a high-scoring team. They've dropped 70 points on the Broncos earlier this season. Huge number, obviously. Um, the Dolphins uh, have an average of 181 yards per game rushing. The Eagles are, conversely, they're actually one of the best rushing defenses in the league, allowing just under 66 rushing yards per game through these first six weeks. How do you think that factors into the game plan on Sunday for both of these teams? I don't think a whole heck of a lot. I don't expect Miami to come in here and uh, run the ball very much. Um, they, they're they're more dangerous when they're throwing the ball. I mean, Tua right now, um, I mean, he's playing at an exceptional level. I mean, he really is. I mean, he's he is really in charge of this offense. and. The play calling reflects that. They have great confidence in him and they have great confidence in their receivers. And I'm sure, you know, the Dolphins are very mindful of the state of the Eagles secondary right now. And, you know, it looks like the Eagles will get Darius Slay back. Uh, they may get Sidney Brown back. Um, but still, the Eagles secondary is questionable. <laughs> at this point so if, 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 if you're the if you're the Dolphins coming into this game given the weapons that you have and the way your quarterback's playing right now I don't think they're planning to run the ball a whole lot especially mm -hmm. the fact the Eagles run defense has been pretty good you know I think they're going to come out slinging it you know that's that's just seems to be I mean they seem to realize that's what they are and that's what they do and I think that's what you're going to see that's what you're going to see on Sunday they are uh, I was watching some tape of them uh, earlier today, and uh, that's the fastest team I've ever seen. And I've been mm. watching football a long time, uh, and I've never seen an offense with that much speed. Uh, I mean, they are—I mean, they are scary. Uh, I was thinking, I was trying to draw a comparison between them and the uh, the Dick Vermeil Rams team the one they called the greatest show on turf, which was extremely explosive. Uh, and yeah, and especially when they played at home in the dome on that fast turf, man, they were like lightning. Um, and as good as they were, and they were great, they wound up winning a Super Bowl that year. Uh, I, I honestly think that they weren't as fast as these guys. Uh, I mean, they, mm. I mean, they were fast. Uh, but when I put them up against each other, I think this team, I think this team is faster. So uh, the Eagles better make sure they have their track shoes on on Sunday because uh, they're they're going to be uh, they're going to be running they're going to be running for a good four quarters. Absolutely, yeah. The uh, Miami Dolphins have an average of it looks like 316 more than 316 yards per game uh, so far this season. Uh, and I just took a quick look uh, yards after the average yards after the catch for Tua so far this season looks to be uh, just shy of seven yards per catch for him uh, for his receivers. So that's, that's huge. That's it and, is. Uh, and that's, and that's the way their offense is built. Um, he's getting rid of the ball faster than any quarterback in the NFL. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and that's, and that accounts for the big yardage after the catch. I mean, that ball's coming out fast and receivers are getting it on the run and, you know, they're turning eight yard routes into 28 yard plays. Uh, and that's, that's what they're designed to do. 
and Tua has really has really settled into it. It's it's obviously an offense that suits him, uh, and with each game, you can just see him gaining more confidence. And mm-hmm. for a team that uh, you know, I mean, the Eagles have some pretty good pass rushers now, um, but at the pace at which they play and the way the ball comes out so fast very hard to muster a pass rush on these guys. Mm-hmm. The Eagles are going to have to find a way to do it because that's the one way to slow down this offense. But the way it's designed and the way it's called does not make it does not make it an easy proposition. Yeah. Yeah, and the Eagles will also have to figure out a way to try to keep a little bit of now the Dolphins aren't as strong defensively as they are offensively, but they have a they have a little bit of they've I was doing some look. They've actually delivered 21 sacks so far through the first six weeks. Uh, Zach Seiler and Andrew Van Ginkle have four apiece through uh, through these first several games here. Uh, Lane Johnson limited in practice today. Uh, he did not participate at all on Wednesday. Uh, Jack Driscoll being in on the offensive line on Sunday, you knew when Lane Johnson was gone. You, it seemed like that right side of the offensive line with Lane – uh, being out and also with Cam Jurgens being out. It felt like that side was collapsing a little bit more readily than the left side of the line. Am I off base on that? And how do the Eagles try to shore that up? Oh, no. I mean, you're, no, you're 100% right. I mean, it's, but it's totally understandable. I mean, you had the left side of your line intact and the right side of your line, you were playing with two backups. So, yeah, it stands to reason that your left side of the line would have been fine but the right side of your line would have had some problems um i was a little bit surprised um that driscoll struggled as much as he did uh because i remember you know when driscoll was a rookie uh because of injury he had to play a fair amount uh and i thought he played really well you know when he first went in with games a rookie i thought oh man i don't know and uh he did not look out of place uh, he, he actually played better then than he did on sunday uh, don't know why, but uh, you know I know that he's proven he can. He's a pretty good player, but he certainly didn't look it on Sunday. And when he was getting beat the way he was getting beaten on the pass rush, I was quite surprised that the coaches didn't do more to try and help him. Uh, there, there are things you can do in a, in a, in a coaching staff, and things that you have to do. That if you have an offensive lineman who's just getting lit up, uh, play after play. Well, you can do things in terms of your formation and so forth and blocking assignments to give them some help if it, if, if it looks like he needs help. And it looked like Driscoll did on Sunday, and they didn't. I mean, they for the most part, they left him kind of on an island, um, a little bit like back in the day Andy Reid did up at the Meadowlands with Winston Justice, the game when O.C. Umanura almost broke the league record for sacks. It kind of looked like that. I mean, that whole game, you're watching that game, you're thinking, when are they going to give this guy some help? You know, when are you going to get a tight end over there? When are you going to keep a back end to chip? Or, you know, when are you going to just start, you know, moving the pocket or something? And they never did. And, you know, they wound up taking a pretty bad beating up in the Meadowlands that day. And there was a lot of, after the fact, like, what were you guys thinking? You know, and Andy kind of said, oh, yeah, you're probably right about that. Well, we kind of went down that same, you kind of went down that same road on Sunday. Um, I mean, to me, it was, and I think anybody watching the game was really obvious that Driscoll was having big time problems over there. Okay. I mean, you got a lot of coaches on that team. You got 22 assistant coaches. I mean, somebody could have pulled out the, 
the, the chalkboard and come up with a little something to help the guy out. They never did. Uh, now, if Lane Johnson comes back to play this week, and I suspect he probably will. I mean, he practiced on a limited basis, but he did practice today. And that tells me that he's trending towards playing. And if he does, then I think you don't have to deal with it. But looking back on Sunday's game, I mean, there were a lot of things about Sunday's loss that to me didn't make a whole lot of sense, the outcome being one of them. But um, the fact that the coaches, I didn't think did a very good job of helping Driscoll out on a tough day is one of them. Mm -hmm. Even something as simple as moving the tight end over to make sure that he's got some backup sure. on a running play. Easy to do. Or, you know, I mean, we're going or go two tight ends, you know, go with a two tight end formation and put the other, put, put one tight end on one side, the other tight end on the other side. Um, I mean, you can flip the formation. You can do a lot of different things. You can just assign the back to, on that side to stay in and do the chip block thing. I mean, that, you see that all the time. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do or just simply you have a quarterback that can move, just move them. You know, uh, the fact that they, that they say that they kind of stayed with the same, I mean, they called the same kind of plays that they would have played if Lane was in there, which I don't think they ever really adjusted to the reality of the fact that Lane wasn't in there. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it cost them. I mean, it, you know, Hertz was under duress the whole game after, after Lane went out. And I think, I think that got in his head a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. we all kind of said he didn't play his game and he certainly didn't. Uh, but I think the fact that he, he, he wasn't as sure that he had that kind of protection on that side uh, affected him, his internal clock and, uh, and his mechanics and everything else. I think he was, he was definitely aware that he couldn't trust that right side of his line. And if you have a quarterback who can't really trust the protection he's getting, uh, there's no way it's not, not going to affect his performance. Yeah. And Certainly a lot of that comes, a lot of that trust gets built in the early part of the season, but you also got to be able to trust the backups and you got to be able to trust the coaches to make the right decisions in terms of that regard too. And it did not seem, you're, you're right, it did not seem like Brian Johnson made as many uh, or even any or did it as well uh, in terms of the adjustment standpoint as Sean Desai did in the week prior with the Rams game when Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua were running all over this team, and Sean Desai came out and shut those two guys down. Right. I, I'm. There's so many things. There's so many things that they could have done that they didn't do, and you, you know, you look back on it now, and it sounds like you're second guessing. But I mean, I was certainly thinking it during the game. I mean, in terms of helping them out with extra blockers on that side, that's easy. But you can also do it with just your play calling. I mean, I, I just thought that. To me, the run-pass ratio was was way out of whack. I mean, they they called way too many pass plays. I think, um, I think they I think they went into the game with knowing that the, the, the Jets that their secondary was short of players. Uh, they were already missing one cornerback, and then they found out by the end of the week that Sauce Gardner was not going to play. Now they're down both defense both down both corners, and I think as a coaching staff, they just said, "Oh boy." You know, we were going to be a team with a shot up secondary with two backup cornerbacks. And we got Smith and Brown, man, we're just going to, we're just going to sling it all day. Yeah. You know, we'll just, we're just going to pass the ball, pass the ball, pass the ball, just move it up and down the field. I think that was the, that influenced the game plan that they drew up. Uh, and I think once they got into the game that they just didn't react to the game, uh, to the injuries uh, and to what was happening there to the point where they just said, you know what? Yeah, I know what we were talking about. 
But you know what? I think we kind of need to slow this thing down a little bit. Let's just run the ball some. You know, we can run the ball. I mean, we can run the ball. And if you run the ball behind Driscoll, I think he's less of a liability than he is in pass protection. I think you could have stabilized things a lot more if you had just run the ball more. Um, but by pass, 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 and just pressure, 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 I think it, it contributed to Jalen Hurts looking out of sorts all day. And yeah. so help in the blocking, that's part of it. But if you, if I think if you had just stuck with the running game more and put more balance in your offense, that would have, you know, that would have accomplished the same end. Absolutely. So sticking to the run game, certainly, that was like echoes of the Andy Reid era, where if it didn't work in the first couple of plays, it was basically discarded. Um, and that was that's not been the formula for success for this Eagles team in, in recent years, we, especially last year, especially in the earlier games that they've won, sticking to that run game, relying on especially the production of DeAndre Swift this season uh, has been really critical and for the Eagles to be able to pull out most of the five wins that they have. Looking at this Dolphins game, what are you going to be looking for to see whether or not this is going to be a uh, victory for the Eagles? How, what are they going to need to do to be able to come away with the win? Well, um, I definitely, getting Lane Johnson back is a big part of it. If you get Lane Johnson back, it, it I mean, that shores up a lot of your issues on the right side of your line. Uh, I think that when you look at, when you're going up against the highest scoring team in the league, which you are, um, the Dolphins are, num the Dolphins have a rare number one going here in that they are number one running the ball, they are number one passing the ball, and they are number one overall offense. They're averaging almost 500 yards a game. Um, the Eagles are the number two offense, which people would be a little surprised. They think this offense hasn't played that good. They're actually number two. But the difference between the Dolphins and the Eagles is like this. I mean, yeah, the Eagles are number two, but they're 100 yards behind. I mean, that's how far, <laughs> that's how far out front the Dolphins are in terms of their offensive execution. It so helps me, when the Dolphins drop 70 points on a team, too, to skew that average in their favor. <laughs> well, yeah, but it wasn't just about one game. Uh, yeah. It, it wasn't just about one game. Uh, I mean, they've they've been, you know, they're averaging 500 a game. So that's, that's pretty good. And I think that, to me, this is a game that the Eagles are going to have to, you're going to have to think offense, you're going to have to think defense here. Um, and how are you going to play these guys? Uh, are, you, are you going to try to play a man? I don't know that you want to do that. Uh, I think you're going to have to play them zone uh, and be really conscious about not giving up the big play. Uh, and, if you look at the Dolphins uh, statistically, um, they make they make big plays. I mean, there's just no way when you have players like they have, you're going you know you get Waddle, you got Hilly. I mean, you're going to make big plays. What has gotten the Dolphins in a little bit of trouble is that they do turn the ball over. You know, they've turned the ball over nine times, same as the Eagles. Uh, and um, I think to beat them, you kind of have to find a way to to force a few of those opportunities to take the ball away. That has been a problem with the Eagles for the last few weeks. They have not had a takeaway defensively for the last three games. Um, if they don't get any takeaways this week, I think it'll be really hard for them to win. So that's one of the things they have to do is they have to be very opportunistic on defense. And when the Dolphins make a mistake, 
um, capitalize on that. And the other part of it is just be finally find a way to get the offense unlocked and your play calling in the red zone. I mean, they got players that they should be a better red zone team than they are right now. And if you're going to play with the Dolphins, a team that can score like that, when you get the ball inside the 20, you better not be kicking field goals. You know, you better you better find a way to, to get the ball in the end zone. Um, I mean, one of the I was looking at the stats between the two teams today. It's very telling that you know Jake Elliott has attempted 18 field goals. The Dolphins kicker has attempted seven. <laughs> so that tells you they're not kicking field goals. They're scoring touchdowns. And you're not going to win this game seven to three this week. I mean, you're going to have to score points. Uh, and that's uh, field goals aren't going to win this one. They're going to have to win this one scoring touchdowns. Absolutely. Do you have any uh, predictions for final score for the game? No, Joe, I'm still, I'm really still sizing it up. As far as the score, I don't even, I, I don't even have, I don't even know which team I like, much less yeah. the score. Um, mm -hmm. I think that this, if you, if you look at it on paper, um, you would probably favor the Dolphins uh, mm -hmm. just the way they're playing right now. But, you know, it's, the Eagles are the Eagles play very well at home. Uh, it's a Sunday night game. You know they're rolling out the Kelly Green. Uh, you got a team that, that I know is is really it, what happened to them Sunday at the Meadowlands is still stuck in their craw. You know, and I'm sure this has been a not very happy week in the meeting rooms and on the practice field. Um, so they're going to come out ready to play on Sunday. Uh, and I know there's some some thought that. You know, maybe that was part of the problem with the Jets. They were looking past the Jets and they were looking ahead to this game. Well, there's no looking past these guys. That's for sure. Um, so we started off this thing talking about the fact that the Eagles, we haven't seen the Eagles play four quarters like the team that we thought they were going to be. Maybe they show it to a Sunday. Maybe, you know, maybe this is the game where it all kind of comes together. You know, and Jalen Hurts plays like the MVP. Uh, and you know, the defense finds a way to slow down those Dolphins and they come up with a big win on national TV audience. They're entirely capable of that. But am I prepared to predict it right now? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't normally do predictions on here, but figured it was figured it was worth a shot. But yeah, it definitely does seem a little barely. And if the Eagles pull it together and pull all of these pieces together and unite them into one consistent game, no time like the present. I agree with that. Yep. Well, Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to join uh, us today and for taking the time to talk about this. Uh, really, really appreciate it uh, with everything going on with that fight you got in in Southwest Philly. I'm kidding, but. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Had to allude to the, had to allude to that. <laughs> that's, that's perfectly fine. So, you know, you traced my history right back there. That's where it goes. Woodland Avenue, <laughs> Southwest Philadelphia. You, uh, you know, you can you can move away from you can move out of Southwest Philly, but it goes with you. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, and thank you to everybody for tuning into the Bird's Nest podcast. You can support the Bird's Nest podcast by liking and subscribing to Bird's Nest Media on YouTube, as well as by sharing to your social media pages. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. Please visit birdsnestmedia.com for additional Eagles coverage. And if you feel so inclined to support more endeavors like this one, you can find the link to our Patreon either in the description below or at birdsnestmedia.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
and let's go Eagles.